Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. We got a doozy for you today. On today's episode, the power of a thousand water hoses. Complete and utter darkness. And holding on to hope. This is Optical Course. Boom. So John, you and Jason, our guests today, go a little ways back. Do you want to just get the listeners up to speed on, on how you and Jason first met? Yeah, for sure. I've known him for about 10 years. We started our businesses around the same time. He owns a gutter cleaning company and basically hires out risk. And he's just always up on a three-story building, peering over the roof, um, cleaning gutters. And so uh, he's very familiar with risk. So it wasn't that surprising um, a couple of years ago when I heard that he was an avid caver. What was surprising was finding out what happened. Um, on one of his caving expeditions. You know, if, if you're, if you have not watched the video yet, you need to watch the video. There's a video online that shows what happened. And, and Jason's going to be in here in a couple of minutes to talk about this, but. Yeah. We highly recommend you press pause. Oh yeah. Please, please do come back when mm-hmm. you're finished because uh, you'll, you'll be uh, enraptured by the, the video. I'm, I guarantee it. It's incredibly intense and emotional and powerful. So you just, just throw up a, uh, Google on your on your device. Throw up, yeah. <laughs> bring bring up. That's aptly named. Yeah. Maybe I'll remove those those verbs and I'll just say Google. Yeah, yeah. Jason Story S T O R I E. Yeah. Trapped in a cave or some, sure. something like that because they're one of the the guys that he was with and who he ended up spending the entire night underground with. This guy Andrew was wearing a GoPro. Mm-hmm. for the expedition yeah and it just created this incredible video and it's it's it, I mean, it's raw and yeah it, it's it's watching jason who you'll hear from very soon in a near-death experience yeah absolutely i mean if, if you saw this footage on a movie you might actually say eh, you know i think they made it a bit too dramatic <laughs> that's what makes this video so amazing is there's just this is pure human drama um, somebody literally fighting for his life. And uh, that wasn't even the worst of it. I yeah. mean, it got worse and worse. Like just as you hear Jason talk about it today, you'll think, okay, and then they got rescued, right? Nope. <laughs> nope. It's another few hours of this and then another 10 hours of this. And we don't want to spoil anything, but go watch the video and just to get the visual and then come back and listen to Jason as he recalls the emotions he felt while going through the... The night of his life. Yeah. And there's some impressive reflections and observations that mm-hmm. he, that Jason makes at the end of this episode. That, yeah. So I, I really implore you to, yes. to stay tuned. It's, we implore you. We, yeah, we're a team. It's one of our longer episodes, mm-hmm. I would say, but... Stick with it for sure. Yeah. It's an incredible story. And then at the very end, you hear him look back on it and... Just uh, watch a video. And you're back. Here we are, Jason Story, entrepreneur, caver, adventurer, and a really good guy. So, where where would you like to begin? Do you want to start? Kind of? Do you want to set the scene for for the day as a whole, or uh, or talk about what you were thinking about going down there? You were doing it in December, so uh, you knew it was going to be wet. I imagine going in. Yep. How did the day begin? Uh, who who was the crew that you were going down with? Well, I mean, I might as well just start with a little preamble. Um, I had gotten into caving uh, 
I think the first time I went down was the March previous to that December. So it had been less than a year, but I had done about five caving trips, maybe total four or five. So this is my fifth or sixth. Um, and uh, it w this was certainly the most challenging cave I'd been in, but I had done it five weeks earlier. Uh, we didn't make it all the way to the end of the cave system, and that was the reason for returning. Um, yeah, and I and I just I fell in love with caving. Still love it. It's uh, it's the closest thing I find to recapturing what it's like to be a kid on a playground. Hmm. Like just when you go down exploring unknown parts and even if they've been discovered before, but you haven't been in the cave yourself yet, then it's all brand new to you and just all sorts of climbing and squeezing through things in weird, small obstacles to get where you want to go and appreciating the beauty of the cave along, along the way. It's, uh, but anyways, um, so a rich metaphor right there that you just talked about too. <laughs> so you get there. Um, so yeah, there was there were six of us that went into the cave that day uh, at around ten in the morning on December fifth, and uh, almost so to get into the cave they've they've got it locked because it's very close to a trail and it used to be just a big hole in the ground so they used some they look like railway ties almost as kind of rebar to concrete over the top but then keep a sort of metal hatch that can be locked and so you you have to go and get a key and sign a waiver form and you get this little aluminum ladder that rolls out and hangs down from the entranceway and then you climb down and the last person in locks the door on the way in so you lock yourselves in and it's basically to protect the cave from goofs and to protect goofs from the cave <laughs> right right <laughs> so yeah so six of us went went down this entrance way and then you, you know once all of you have made it down the ladder to the to the bottom then then it's time to go into the cave and one of the first things you do is you go through a really tight squeeze you're lying on your back mm. shimmying down and and the rock that's above you is is right on your chest in mm. fact even if you decide to wear your harness and not carry it in your pack, um, and you and we would have been wearing them to go into the cave entrance because even though you're climbing down a ladder, you're you've got rope safety as backup, so you have to have your harness on for that. But if you were wearing your harness, it can easily get snagged on the rock and yeah. stop stop your progression. Um, that's how tight this hmm. squeeze is. And but then you come out at the bottom of that into this great big tunnel, and there's a small stream going along the bottom of this large tunnel um but nothing to no cause for concern or anything right. um it was raining pretty heavily but it had been five weeks earlier as well and you know all sorts of people cave in there all the time no one had suggested ever that possibly the water could get high enough to cause anyone any problems at any point in the system it, it's hard to explain there's so much diversity you're, you're and it's not always straightforward and then down and straightforward and then down sometimes you've been you're you're halfway through a cave system and then all of a sudden your journey is much more upward instead mm. and you're kind of going back on yourself just to progress through the mm. you know the passages are just whatever mother nature has made right yeah and yeah. and and, and um, sometimes 
you're in a, in just a, a round big tunnel. Other times it's a massive, uh, massive room the size of like a church cathedral. Sometimes there's not many features. Sometimes there's tons of features, stalactites, stalagmites, mm. calcite features on the walls that are amazing to look at. Um, but hence the guide, right? Because it sounds like you could easily get lost in there. Or at least somebody who knows where they're going. Yeah. 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 Because are, are it, trails it, marked at all? or Well, like... they're mapped, but the maps are difficult to figure out. There are a couple places where you might get turned around and go the wrong way, but it doesn't, from what I recall, it, you, it doesn't lead very far before you realize, you know, th this is a dead end. We got to go back. And m most of those places where you can get turned around and go the wrong way are in rooms where there are a bunch of boulders that have, that effectively make up the room. The room is, and the way forward, the, the passageway is some sort of a gap between a couple of those boulders. And you might choose the wrong gap and go between the wrong boulders and then, you know, quickly discover, no, this isn't it. We got to go back and right. search for the pink flag then, or whatever. And uh, I, I imagine that might be part of the fun though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And to and to possibly discover something new, something that even though people have been in there many times, you might, and sometimes it can be the tiniest thing. You see a little hole that you don't even think a person could be able to fit through way back in the corner of some room that no one's bothered to go check out. You go down there and you find that you can just barely squeeze yourself through it. But what, what you come out to on the other side could be anything. You could suddenly be in a massive chamber that no one's found yet and a whole other extensive length of tunnels and more cave to explore. Yeah, I can see that yeah. excitement just in your face right now about <laughs> the, sure. the idea of it. You're probably thinking, what am I doing in here? I, <laughs> I haven't been caving in a while, so that might be part of it right there. <laughs> so you guys are moving along, and then yep. kind of what comes next? So perhaps I'll, I'll explain the trouble spot even even before it became a trouble spot um, and we had made it past this spot five weeks prior as well there's a small tunnel um, called bastards crawl right and you get into the top of this bastards crawl when you're when you're caving you know from the entranceway working your way down you get into it through another quite tight squeeze you're on your back going down feet first and then you you basically come into um, a little pool of water because there's a few streams that converge there and then run their way down this sort of 20, 30 foot tunnel called Bastard's Crawl. And the water goes down that that tunnel from the point where you enter it. Um, then at the end of that, it basically opens up into a massive multi-story drop. Uh, and the water coming down Bastard's Crawl falls over that as a, as a waterfall and that double chamber is where the waterfall goes down is called double trouble. And, um, there's like a little ledge at the edge there where you can, a couple people can hang out and you can tie a rope onto one particular, one or two particular parts of the rock to descend down through the waterfall to carry on exploring the cave further down. Uh, so we we did that and it's fun, you know. It's you get cold and wet, but then once you start moving again, you start warming up. It's like oh, a little bit awful to go through the 
the waterfall when you're descending down and then to have to ascend back up through it, which is a much more mm -hmm. vigorous For pro sure. process. Yeah. But anyways. And it's um, December, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And well, what would the air temperature have been like at that point in the water temperature? Uh, the water temperature probably would have been very cold, mm -hmm. uh, much colder than the air temperature. Air temperature steady at around five degrees. Um, a balmy five degrees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad. Like I say, when you're wearing multiple layers and you and you're moving, um, even if your multiple layers get wet, if you're if you're moving, um, it's pretty comfortable. Right. Um, but yeah, and then and then a little bit further on into the cave system after double trouble, there's a there's a small spot where we had stopped for a bite to eat and turned around on our previous trip. And so we stopped for a bite to eat again there. Um, and Andrew had a little jet boil um, cook stove to cook up some rations. We had a little bit of hot food and then mm. and uh, moved on. And about five or ten minutes further into the cave system, further than we had got the time before, mm. um, but, but not at the end yet, uh, another one of our party, Zach, started to shiver a bit and he was feeling cold and he didn't want to carry on. He wanted to turn around. So we said, yeah, that's cool. Let's, you know, we're, we're heading back. Um, and, uh, so we started to head back and going up through double trouble was extremely wet, um, and a little bit cold and kind of annoying it was it was awful trying to get up through that water but normal awful not what was to come awful oh, okay. <laughs> and, and when you say like water i because we've watched the video but for people who haven't seen the video and and if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the video it might be a great opportunity to just press pause and go and watch the video because it is it is so captivating terrifying and intense uh it's not just a trickle of water uh there's you know, meters of water well, just I, I flowing. I think Jason in the video you call it like a fire hose. It basically, like just oh, turn on a fire hose. Like there's about a thousand or a thousand. I think fire I hoses. might have said ten in the video, but sure, it's more yeah. more like a hundred or a thousand right, fire hoses. Exactly. It's like it's, Something it's you, like a, a, yeah. a very heavy waterfall that you would see outdoors, but it's in this in a confined space, and, and you're crawling up it. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you even do that? Like, how do you even... Well, no, when you're ascending, you're, yeah. you've are you got ropes. Right. So you're free... So some of the time you're not exactly in the waterfall, but okay. you're kind of at the mercy of the swing of the rope to a certain extent. Gotcha. And okay. so you're you're in the water, you're out of the water, you're you're yep. in the water, in the water, in the water, <laughs> yeah. out of the water. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and then, yeah, and, and then we made it up to the top of um, Double Trouble. And like I say, there's not a lot of room there. So... You know, people were getting out quickly, crawling back up, bastards crawling. You could see that the water had risen a little bit in there. But again, nothing that looked too dangerous. And Matt and Arthur made it through bastards crawl and back up the tight squeeze to the next big chamber above there, um, which is the first place in that area on your way back out where you can actually like stand up and move around and you feel more comfortable. There's no actual, it's, it's moist because you're underground in a cave, but there's no actual water. There's no rivers or pools of water or anything in that particular chamber. Um, and they had made it there. I was next. I made it through bastards crawl. 
Um, but unfortunately, if I was to pinpoint the one regret in this whole thing, it would be that I, I didn't either just stay there and wait for someone to come through to give me some instructions and directions, or that I didn't just give it a try because I had a moment of indecision. I it The tight squeeze back up into the next chamber, there's kind of a left and a right way that you can go and I knew that one was kind of futile you if you went that way you'd just run into a dead end and and have to come back down and go up the other way um so what I did was I started to crawl back down bastards crawl towards the edge where the water to you know goes over as a waterfall down double trouble to try and get directions to try and ask which way I'm supposed to go up at the top mm, and okay, okay that's when I got into trouble. That was my first spot of trouble. The video we just watched um, was the end of probably about 10 or 15 minutes, I think it was. In my memory, it feels like it was only a few minutes. Right. But when, you know, it's on, it's on GoPro, so there's no <laughs> denying the fact. What do you remember thinking about those few minutes? So... I remember getting caught in the water and Zach shouted out to Andrew that I was in trouble and Andrew came. I don't know that I remember Zach actually shouting to Andrew, but then I remember that Andrew was there talking to me and I knew I was in trouble but felt like Andrew was going to get me out of it until at one point I felt really trapped and the water was coming up over my ears and I believe I I squealed out something to that effect it's coming over my ears and uh yeah at that point I really they say your life flashes before your eyes all my loved ones flashed before my eyes and mm. I I really thought this is, this is it I'm I, there's a very good chance I'm I could drown right here right now and um then somehow that went away from my ears. It, it it came down just enough for me to feel a little bit more secure. But I was, you know, I was no, certainly not confident that I was going to get out of this situation, but I, I, I wasn't right on the brink as much as I thought I was once that water came down and was more around my chin rather than around the, my ears. Um, with my head against the ceiling of the cave, of the tunnel, and Andrew kept yelling at me to grab onto something and to and to you know float on out but my leg was stuck on something so I kept saying that I was stuck and I kept reaching for a handhold that would make me feel comfortable enough to make a move but I just couldn't get my hand on something that I felt would give me the right leverage to safely make a move and so I was just getting colder and colder in the water and I don't know exactly what it, and Andrew was telling me that I wasn't stuck and I was very grateful that he was there, but I, I think I was a bit angry with him at that precise moment for telling me that I wasn't stuck when in my mind I knew damn well that I was stuck. <laughs> if if yeah. I wasn't stuck, yeah. I'd be the hell out of here yeah. by now. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have the energy to, to start any sort of conversation. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, but then, then I, I, I eventually 
a combination of it being, I guess it being just too damn long in there and it was time to listen to Andrew and go for it um, and somehow feeling more comfortable with my hand grip or whatever, I I, I finally went and, and, and that portion of, of the emergency was over with and I mean we kind of know what happened afterwards but actually getting trapped in the cave for any length of time was was the furthest thing from our minds it's not I I just thought oh we've I've made it out of that predicament that's it we're good now we're good now we're gonna get out of the cave well and to be honest Jason um when I first kind of heard the story in my mind, when I watched the video, that was the whole ordeal, which was horrible. But I was like, oh, he's been rescued now and he's out. I did not even know that you were still going to be there for another 14 hours. No. Which which is almost the, you know. I would say, yeah. I would say I, I'm just going to do a little plug here. If you Google on or search on YouTube, uh, Cascade Caving. And it'll be one. It'll be the top video that comes up. A story of survival. That is a 15-minute piece that was put together uh, by the same person who wrote the um, article for the Vancouver Sun yeah, about a year that's the one afterwards. We watched. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's a great one that tells yeah. the story. Um, it's uh, Gina Daggett put that together, and it's a uh, it's a, it's a really good video piece, and and it gives you a good indication of exactly what happened start to finish. I mean, I've watched that with my wife, with friends. I've, I've given it to Andrew, and and everybody has the same reaction. It's very emotional watching it. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the, one of the most harrowing videos I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, I, I can't imagine what was going through your mind when you were wedged in that in that spot with water coming over your ears. Mm. Um, how, how did you stave off the panic? I think I. I have this propensity to always go into problem-solving mode. Okay. And as simple as the problem-solving was at when I was wedged there, the first thing I thought was I, I've got to keep breathing. And so I made sure I got my nose and my mouth up to the ceiling of the cave. And that's it. It's as simple as that. It's awful that it, it was as simple as that, that it boiled down to that. Right. But, you know, that was stage one was just, I, I can't panic. I mean, I was in my head, my brain was freaking out, but I had to do what I had to do to stay alive, which was to concentrate on the breathing mm -hmm. and take long, deep breaths, not, not start, you know, hyperventilating or anything right. like that. Um, and then listening to Andrew and going, going step by step from there. I like what you said about sort of feeling the panic, but not giving into the panic, mm. right? You made a distinction there. Like, obviously there was a panicked part of you. You're, you're like the thoughts that were, the terror was there, but you knew if you gave into them, certainly. Oh, if I gave into them, it would and be started over. flailing around right, and, right. and, and, you know, Oh, got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. Then yeah, that would have been the end of it. It would have been it. Right. It's very much survival mode at its purest right there. Mm -hmm. And it, even just saying that, like, I all I was doing was focusing on getting my nose and mouth out of the water and breathing. I mean, perhaps that's why finding the handholds wasn't really on top of mind. <laughs> and, and it was just 
let's you know let's breathe first because i if i don't breathe i'm dead and then start worrying about what i'm going to do with my hands so then um andrew gets you out of that spot yes right um and you credit him later as quite simply saving your life oh yeah which, which he did um so you get out of that spot and then take us through what happens next well, the first thing was that Andrew and I had our legs trapped together in a crevice. And the flow of the water is such that you're not, you can't just pick your leg out of there with human, with normal human strength, like move your leg with the muscles right, yes. in your leg. Right. So Andrew had to actually uh, tie a bit of rope that he had nearby into a loop and we had to pull our legs out of the constriction. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I remember I was slurring my speech. I was aware that I could not speak properly. I was aware that when he was saying, I, I need you to come and sit over here. And I was saying in a minute, in a minute, but I was very aware that it was in a minute, in a minute. Mm. Um, and so, but, but at the same time, I felt like a million bucks cause I felt like danger was averted mm-hmm. and that was it. It was just a matter of time now we're going to get out of the cave and um but then andrew was more concerned that i had gone hypothermic right and so he got me down onto a small ledge right right big enough just for one person small flat ledge right beside where the waterfall um, empties out and he got zach to go through the tunnel and then he went through the tunnel to get um, some of our bags from the, the big chamber up at the top of the tight squeeze there. He told uh, the three guys up there uh, about the situation and said, you know, wait. I can't remember exactly what the amount of time was, but wait 20 minutes or whatever. If we don't come up, then, um, you know, go and call search and rescue. Um, and he got me warmed up with a, the jet boil. He, we had plenty of water to fill it up with. <laughs> He would just reach his hand out under the falls and then reattach it and ignite it. And then, and and they, they warm up pretty quickly. So every couple minutes we had mm. hot water. Um, and then we used it. Uh, then we did, I can't really remember the exact order of, of specific events, some, some of them. But I know that we ate some food, hot food. And I know that we then tried to go through the tunnel again and um it it was completely impassable at this point the the water was only a few inches from the top of the 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 ceiling of the tunnel so then we knew we were probably going to have to shelter in place and wait to see if some sort of rescue attempt came down and were able to contact us somehow maybe float something down on a rope down the down the waterfall or something like that uh, or down the river um, or wait for the water to recede if it would and and everything's completely unknown at this point or is it going to go down in an hour or are we going to be down here for a few weeks like just don't know at all and the water's just getting higher and more and more forceful and at one point and because it's getting hot it's getting when it gets higher and more forceful, it also gets wa- just simply wider and bigger. Mm-hmm. So the little ledge that I'm on and the, and, and Andrew's kind of sitting on a 45 degree ledge that's on the other side 
of the water waterfall but but those things are soon becoming overcome by the water as well and that's when i noticed a little we'll call it a ledge mm -hmm. it's it's a 45 degree we'll call it a ledge but it's on a 45 degree angle and it's pinched off on three sides at the top and and of the 45 at the bottom of the 45 and then into the nook as it were it gets pinched as well so it's almost like if you have a sleeping bag that is zipped up mm -hmm. on three sides top side and bottom but one side is open right um and you get in there and you're lying on the ledge and then but then the ceiling above you is is like right there practically touching you you hardly have room to bring your arms up on top of your body um and while lying there sort of cuddling for the night um you know because you're on a 45 degree angle you're constantly slipping down on you know your your legs are bending and you're you're constantly sliding down this ledge onto your feet and your and, and everything so it reached the point where i think both of us did this at, at various times was we would take our caving helmet and push ourselves up into the pinch point at the top of the 45 degree angle and really ram our helmets up in there as much as we could to try to find some sort of catch point mm. where the helmet would then hang and so our weight, we'd be hanging by our helmets on this forty-five degree wow. thing, so that so that it would stop us from continually sliding yeah. down it during the night. You would just be bracing yourself with the full weight of your legs, right? Yeah. Holding yourself up, yeah, in those muscles. Yeah. And and there was no room to roll over. You know, you couldn't be. Oh, I'm on my back now, but right. now I'm a, I'm a bit uncomfortable, so I'm going to roll onto my stomach or my side. There was none of that. It was one position for the whole. I think. I think once in the night, I I had to get Andrew to move so that I could roll over, but only the one only the one time, because that's how much. If you wanted to roll over, it was this major effort of we gotta we gotta kind of get ourselves out of this nook and then back into the nook again in the new position rather than simply rolling over. And of course, I'm I'm sure some people are thinking at this point you know, okay, this is, this is a 14 hour ordeal. Thank God they had each other and they could communicate and stuff. But I remember you telling me, I mean, it was so loud in there that you, you, you really barely talked. Right? No. Like, and, and I think not just because it was loud, but because to, to survive the night and shelter in place, it's, you don't want to waste right. energy. So, so we had, our headlamps turned off because we didn't want to waste <laughs> that energy, the batteries, right? We needed yes. that light later. And for how much longer, who knows? And um, yeah, and I mean, just in order to not um, freeze completely, because I was certainly hypothermic throughout the night. I was shivering uncontrollably probably 20 minutes out of every hour. Um, and... But the only way I could I could make myself feel less uncomfortable was I would pull my um, my my clothes up over my face, mm -hmm. right to the brim of my helmet, so that my breath was all in and around my chest and keeping me a little bit warm there. And then I was simply meditating, taking deep deep breaths in in and out, trying to concentrate on 
the breathing instead of, you know, where my mind was trying to go at times. Where was it going at its, <laughs> at its darkest yeah. moments? At its darkest moments, I came to peace with the fact that I might die down there. At its darkest moments, I kind of had to had to make peace with myself that this is this could be it. Um. Then there were other little weird things that happened along the way. The, the there was a new Star Wars movie coming out that was out a few a couple weeks after you know the ordeal um and i remember and i'm a big star wars fan because you know anyone born in the early 70s is a big star wars fan (laughs) and um i remember thinking damn i I might not be able to see the new star wars film (laughs) and uh petty i know but it was just something that in 12 hours you get a lot of thoughts (laughs) and that was one of them somewhere (laughs) along the way i also my, my both my parents have passed away my my father back in 2003 um but my mother we had only buried the month earlier um before this trip and i remember you know in my mind speaking to both of them mm. and asking them to help guide me out of the cave and keep me safe and and oh. it, it's not like i felt like i was having a two-way conversation or i was expecting a reply but but from from my side of things, it was a very real conversation. I was asking them. I think you even say in the video that you felt like you spoke to God that night. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't know. You know, I, I've I've I'm not a full blown atheist, but I've never been very religious either in my life. So I I sit on the fence when it comes to the existence of a God. I believe perhaps more in mother nature. Right. Um some or something like that, but but um needs must, I suppose, and I I I spoke to him that night. You felt a a force more powerful than yourself. Mm. Definitely. What were you saying? Similar to what I was asking my parents, just please guide me out of here. Um you know, I've got a wife and and two children at home that need me. Um this this is not how I want this to end. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How did you stave off those, uh, the worst feelings? Simply by meditating and somewhat forced hope. You know, the meditating was, was simply concentrating on the breathing, deep breaths, from the diaphragm, breathing right up through the whole body as, as deep and long as I, I could in and out. And if I was concentrating on that, then then the other thoughts were held at, quite literally held at bay because you're not thinking about them. You're thinking about your breaths. Other times when the bad thoughts would come in, I would immediately counter them with a somewhat forced, hopeful thought. Like, no, we are going to make it. No, the water is going to recede. No, Andrew is here with me this is going to have a happy outcome hmm. um and and were you aware of did you have a sense of time down there like were you like okay that's probably been an hour i mean you know did you did it feel how long did it feel well 
Andrew had a watch, and so once in a while oh, okay, okay. we would check the time. And then as time went on, we did that less and less, but right. certainly in the early hours, because we made a sort of uh, bet, although we, we both agreed, so it wasn't really a wager, but we, we both said, I bet I bet um, we, we see something from uh, the rescuers. I bet we hear some sort of attempt at contact at, at 8 p.m. I bet at 8 p.m. we'll, we'll see something. Mm. And of course, 8 p.m., came and went 9 p.m. came and went and nothing mm-hmm. so um and then the other strange thing is that the, the sound of the water down there creates weird almost auditory hallucinations mm-hmm. you start to kind of think you can hear some voices in the in the water although you can't quite make it out but um and then you and then I would start to think that I could hear water coming from the other direction like up from the nook that we were in which, if I was to focus on that and truly believe it, would have been yeah it would have been terrifying, terrifying that yeah. it's now coming from mm-hmm. our only safe spot here right um, but uh yeah, and then and then, so yeah, Andrew had the watch, and then we would turn on our headlights every once in a while, headlamps every once in a while to have a look over at the water and see what it was doing, and uh. You know, it, it was just getting worse and worse to the point where it was just floor to ceiling, the entire thing engulfed. And, and of course, usually when you're in a cave, um, there's there's no wind or anything like that. But the force of the water was creating wind. So we had a um, one of these emergency blankets that's like tinfoil. Um, and, it, you know, the the wind would cause this thing to suddenly flap up against the ceiling and no longer be covering us Um, and you know fluttering up against the ceiling so Andrew like poked some holes in it and used some carabiners to try to latch it on here and there to try and make it a little more secure and he was mostly successful with that but um, yeah and then we would just check in with each other every 20 minutes or so I would say we would just check you know hey how you doing you still with me yep how you doing awful (laughs) (laughs) And then at one point I just swore I, I dropped the F bomb as as loud as anything in the middle mm-hmm. of the night and I and it's it scared Andrew to no end. He's like, What, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? Well, it's all of this yeah, is what's yeah, wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just sure. just uh, I, I haven't lost it yet, so I'm just gonna do it right now for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get and, it out. And you talked about sort of turning your headlamps on every once in a while. So when they weren't on, we're talking like black, black darkness, oh, yeah. right? You like, don't, yeah. Like the, you know, I just think you right. don't get that kind of darkness exactly. above ground. You don't. Right. You could go in a hotel room and draw the the um, blackout curtains and all that stuff in the middle of the night, and you're still not going to get the, the type of black that's, that's yeah. there. Yeah, wow. been able to. I do know that uh, usually when it gets as bad as it did for us, it's not a happy outcome. We're no. we're, we're definitely a, a rare statistic. That, that we're actually around to tell the tale once it goes mm. that far sideways. So so while all this was going on, what was happening outside the cave? Maybe kind of bring us into right. that. Right, yeah. yeah. So And we had no idea, right? We didn't know if the guys had made it out and sounded the alarm or, or what, uh, which was definitely a worry. I think Andrew was very concerned about the other cavers. I think in my mind, I just could I couldn't even go there. In my mind, I was just being optimistic that Yes, they made it out. There's no two two ways about that, right? Um, but yeah, they made it out. 
um, and sounded the alarm and uh, stayed all night long while uh, search and rescue and cave rescue came. Um, Caroline, my wife, and uh, Andrew's wife, uh, Sarah, they were um, notified and and uh, and uh, yeah, it, and they came down to try to get to us. Um, un, unbeknownst to us, uh, they were, you know, 20 or 30 feet away from us hmm. at, uh, around midnight when the water was at its highest and they tried, um, one guy who I, I know, John, he, he tried more than he should have and had to kind of be pulled away, uh, to try and get, get through that torrent. Cause they would have come down that tight squeeze and found that mass of water, but they're up at the beginning of that mass of water. And I, my understanding was he was, you know, trying to put his feet in it, but the, the, his feet were just getting swept so fast that there was no way he would be able to get in there in any sort of stable way. And, uh, so they went back up and I'm pretty sure they would have lost it. Like I've heard some of the things that people were talking about above ground and it was not all hopeful. That's for sure. Mm. Um, you know, people, people were starting to talk about it being a recovery mission, mission rather than a rescue mission. Um, and, uh, and, and the way, the way it works. So, uh, uh, I guess RCMP are called first and then search and rescue are out there and they provide ground support. They do not go underground. And then there's cave rescue, which is specialized. That's, you know, cavers rescue other cavers. Um, and so they were there and had set up and had, tried you know come down to make the attempt to get us and then went back up to regroup and think about when, when are we going to make a second attempt let's keep an eye on the weather and see if the rain goes down and what what that might mean for the water underground um, and then uh, BC Ambulance was there they were down at the end of the disused logging road about a 10 minute drive away but the paramedics actually walked up to um, to closer to the cave entrance um, and of course, like I say, we, we, you know, we know none of this. Uh, all we know is that at about three in the morning, I would say, we notice that the water's starting to come down still ridiculously high to make an attempt, but promising a, a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. And so we keep an eye on it at four, four thirty. around four thirty, I think we thought, you know, this is looking pretty good if it carries on in this direction. And uh, I was supposed to be working. I was supposed to be meeting one of my employees for work at 5.30 in the morning on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, at the office. So for whatever reason in my head, I thought 5.30 is a good time to, you know, if this carries on 5.30, we're going to make a move. And uh, so maybe, we... Ag- maybe I can get to work. <laughs> 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 Not quite. Yeah, my employee phoned um, Caroline saying, I'm supposed to be working. Where's Jason? <laughs> He's stuck in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, 5.30 came, and, and for whatever reason, we weren't quite ready, but at 6 o'clock, half an hour after the time we initially decided, we, we decided we'd give it a go. Um, it was almost as low as it was when we, you know, when I had gotten into trouble right. initially the day before. And uh, Andrew went through first, and then he looked back at me so that I had my own headlamp as well as his headlamp, and he was also able to guide me a bit verbally as I, as I went through there. And, uh, 
it was difficult. Uh, you, you're not just crawling through a tunnel because there's a ton of water, flowing water, on the bottom half of the tunnel that you don't want to let yourself sink into and become submerged in. But even when you're crawling with your back against the ceiling and your head turned sideways with your cheek against the ceiling, your your other cheek is in the water and your chest is in the water. You're, there's no getting around that. You're going to be touching the water while you're while you're crawling through there. And the very last move to get into an area where you have a little bit more headspace is to actually dunk your head in the water to get underneath this small, just tiny, but but lower than the rest, uh, ridge of rock. And so I dunked my head through and came up where I suddenly had this headspace at the top of Bastard's Crawl. And I could breathe, and Andrew and I were, you know, sitting there up to our chests in water, but we could we could breathe, and we had headspace, and we'd made it through Bastard's Crawl, and we were grinning ear to ear, and we high-fived each other. At that point, I felt like we'd made it, like we were, you know, already out of the cave. That was it. That was the mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the problem done. Obstacle defeated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, quite an obstacle. Yeah. How did your body feel at that point? I mean, you'd been hypothermic for like 15 hours or mm. something like that, like before you even got into the into the nook where you spent the, the long night. Do you recall how the muscles and just your body was? So the hypothermia went away almost immediately, just through getting up and moving, the body heat of, of actually getting going. Um, and it I can't really recall if it was still there a little bit, I mean, I was certainly a little bit cold, but the euphoria as well of having made it that, that short distance through the bastard's crawl, I felt like it was gone already. By the time we made it through the tight squeeze and we're up in the next chamber and then made the decision to carry on, it was truly gone because I I was mm-hmm. moving and caving and, and, and we were making our way out and that simply doing all of that w- was warming my warming my body up. But the one thing that from lying in one position all night long was that I had uh, strained um, my groin muscles. And so anytime I had to, uh, crawling seemed fine, walking on flat ground seemed fine, everything seemed fine, except if I had to lift up my feet in, in elevation whatsoever. So whether that was, because suddenly you're you're going up on an incline or whether there was actually a small uh, rock face that you had to climb to get through the next tunnel, which was often. And I just, I couldn't even do it. I, I had to literally grab my knee with my hands and lift my leg up so that I could place my foot onto whatever ledge I needed to. Then I would get my hands in position and then pull myself through and Andrew can attest that I screamed Hmm. my way through a few moves on, on the way out of there. I believe he, he said I screamed like a goat many times (laughs) on the, on the, on the trip out of there. And it was a further hour and a half of worth of pretty solid, you know, somewhat tricky caving. You were about 20 stories underground from what I understand. Something like that. Yeah, around 200 feet. So, yeah. It's a a long ways up. Well, and the other thing that was unknown to us um, at that point was 
well, I should start with something that was known to us, actually, which was when we got through the tight squeeze up into the first big chamber that you can stand around in, there were uh, cave bags in there that did not belong to us. So we knew at that point that cave rescue had been down. We didn't know when, we didn't know what had happened, but we knew someone had made an attempt somehow in the night. Mm. And uh, Andrew said, you know, hey, what do you want to do? We can crack these cave bags open right now. There's probably provisions in there, some 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 sort sort of warmth, like whether you know blankets or or um, heat pads or something. Hey, there's there's going to be stuff in these cave bags we can get comfortable with right here. And uh, but I I didn't want that. <laughs> I wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we made the move. And yeah, I would say that if if we were moving at a good pace, not stopping to. Um, look at, at anything it would take us an hour maybe a bit less than an hour even to make the journey but it took us an hour and a half okay yeah and and the whole time we didn't know like are we going to come across cave rescue you know, are they going to be making another attempt like are we going to come across these guys whose bags are down here mm-hmm. and as it turns out we didn't they they were above ground they were just getting ready to make another attempt to come down and and rescue us when we um, got to the uh, entranceway where the uh, ladder normally hung, but I, 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 I'm trying to recall. I don't think the ladder was even there anymore because they'd set up haul ropes, and you know people were descending on ropes instead of the ladder, and 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 they were ready to haul us out of there. And I was grateful for that because with my um, groin muscles strained with how tough it, was, and I said a couple times on the way out just you know no matter what happens here there's no way i'm making it up that ladder when we get mm-hmm. to the to mm-hmm. the entrance so take us through the moment when you finally first heard an actual real voice <laughs> well so before the voices were the lights so mm-hmm. we knew you know and uh you know there, there's a part of me that kind of wishes i could have been the, the the cool dude that came out going hey what's up guys <laughs> what you what you guys doing here but no i was uh andrew there's lights there's lights <laughs> yeah. the lights are here people are here yeah and uh and uh yeah and uh then you could see a couple of head, headlamps looking down from above mm. and it was a friend of ours uh charlene who who shouted out you know i love you guys and i started to tear up a bit when i heard her say that and uh i'm sure and then all of a sudden you saw all the headlights, mm. headlamps come and, 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 and start to look down as everyone came running to the top of the cave. And that was it. They pulled us out. They had Tim Horton's coffee waiting for us right yeah. there. The mm. ground search and rescue checked us over. And then we, uh, we walked up to Andrew's van, which is a little bit uphill. So again, I was struggling. But, uh, and then we gave the paramedics. Uh, uh, well, then I called Caroline. Um, you can't, you, I can't even remember how we got cell phone service out of there, out there. Cause normally you don't at all. You have to drive at least 10 or 15 minutes before you get cell phone service. But I think Matt had some sort of, you were able to like use his cell phone and stand on one leg and touch his car and then his <laughs> cell phone worked or something like mm-hmm. that. And, uh, so I made that call and then we drove the paramedics back down to the ambulance and they checked us over in the ambulance and then. And then off we went to McDonald's for breakfast. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I hadn't been in, in a McDonald's in years and I was, 
I didn't recognize any of the breakfast items and I was wondering what to have. And I look over and Andrew ordered two full breakfast meals. And I was like, why didn't I think of that? I'm going to do that. I'm so. sure it was the most delicious <laughs> breakfast you've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. And watching, watching all these people come and go around us that are mm. like, you don't have a clue what's just happened to no. us. Mm-hmm. How long before you saw Caroline? A couple hours. Cause we, cause I called her first. Right. And then we, and then we went and got checked out by the ambulance. And then, um, Zach drove us to Ladysmith where he lives in, in Andrew's van. Then Andrew drove us to Shimanus, which is where we had all met in the morning. So that's where my truck was waiting for me. And then I drove back from Shimanus to home, pulled into the driveway and, and her and, uh, Jack stepped out on the front step and I almost broke down right there. She was, she was ready to give me all kinds of hell. And then she <laughs> saw my face and forgave me a little bit, <laughs> decided not to unleash it straight away. What was the conversation like either on the phone with Carolyn or, or when you arrived home? Just me saying, I'm sorry a lot, really. That was about it. I th- I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What were you sorry for? Putting her through mm-hmm. whatever she went through that night. Cause you know, there's a whole other story. Mm. Someone who is there wondering if their husband's going to make it back or not to help them raise their kids. Yeah. You thought no. your night was rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. She sharpened a lot of pencils that night. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then from there, um, I heard that you went back to the cave. Like like most, I would think 99.9% of people upon being rescued from that would be like, okay, obviously I'm never doing that again. Um, there'd be some major trauma involved. But I, I think it was, what, four or five months later, you and Andrew went back to that cave? And take us through kind of your decision you know, process for that and what that was like. Well, here's the thing, um, that, that couple of days was a a remarkable rainstorm that swept in. It was the storm of the winter. It was not forecast to be that bad. I was sitting at home with my legs up on the coffee table the next day after getting back and they, I was watching the news and they were evacuating native villages out of the Alberni Valley because of flooding. Mm -hmm. So... In my mind, yes, it was it was awful and unfortunate, but but it it was a very specific set of unfortunate circumstances that led to that. If I felt like, oh gosh, that's what caving is like, you're always likely to get yourself in that kind of jam, then no, I probably wouldn't go back to it. <laughs> right. But but and the fact that we went back in May when it had been sunny for a long time and the water levels were low and and all the rest of it. And in, in fact, you'd hardly recognize the exact same spot where we got into trouble when we went back. It was just a trickle. We had always rappelled down through the waterfall because we because you have to. There's no other way to climb down. Well, we discovered that when the water level is exceptionally low, like it was that May, and, and the waterfall, for all intents and purposes, doesn't exist. Um, there is a way down 
without ropes, a real easy climb down through where the waterfall would. So when the water's heavy, you just can't go that way because the water is such a danger. Um, but when, yeah, so it, it's just a whole, mm-hmm. a whole other thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I did feel a little bit weird about a few things afterwards. There's no denying that. I could not stand the sound of the bathtub running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, um, I, I drive between Duncan and Victoria a lot for work and over the Malahat there's, when we get heavy storms, um, you know, you get these really cool waterfalls that can come off of the cliffs there. Right. And I, I've always thought they look really amazing when I'm driving and I've been really fortunate to see them. They just kind of looked really disgusting to me for a long time afterwards. And I still have mixed feelings about the, mm-hmm. the look of them up up close uh, I did a rock climbing uh, trip this past summer and I was camped on a disused logging bridge uh, and I was in my tent and there was a, a raging river that flowed underneath this bridge so there was that sound and um, it, it was a little colder in the, this was in June and it was a little colder up in this area than I thought it was going to be for June, simply because of the, the altitude and the north part of the island. Um, and so I found myself actually in my sleeping bag, pulling my sleeping bag right up over top of me completely and mm-hmm. <laughs> pulling my sweatshirt yeah. up over my face and breathing within my sweatshirt to keep my chest warm. Mm-hmm. So these were all very familiar feelings to three years ago. Right with the raging river underneath. And I'm not saying I had PTSD in a way that I was freaking out or panicking or, or feeling emotional, but it just, it just all felt, I think icky is the, is the Mm -hmm. best word I can. It just felt disgusting. Like this familiar feeling of having to breathe into my sweatshirt with the sound of that water just sounds and feels rather disgusting. Mm -hmm. What did you learn about yourself from going through that process? Or maybe not process, but that that ordeal. Uh, that we're all capable of doing and surviving more than we perhaps realize, or realize might not be the right word because you probably don't ever think about it, but are aware of. How have you been able to use that learning since then? Uh. I'd say I've become even more adventurous. Like I've been back in Cascade three times since I think. So I've been in the cave five times in total. And the last time that we went, we actually made it all the way to the end. Finally, Hmm. Uh, I'm happy to say. Um, And, uh, you know, I've, I've done some hikes since then that I probably wouldn't have done. I, 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 I used to be able to talk a big talk about being adventurous and I would do some things, but they were always within the parameters of a provincial park. You know, they were the guided easy trails or whatever. They were go look at this waterfall that's on, on the map and and whatever. Whereas now I've done a couple of hikes that are a a little off the grid, a little off the grid. They're, they're marked, but they're, they're tough. I did, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, or at least for me, they are, I hiked, I've hiked up to the top of Mount Aerosmith. Nice. And in the winter, I went with a couple of friends and hiked up Mount Benson in Nanaimo. And from the top half of that, it was like up to your waist in snow. Yeah, I've done that one in January. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and then, uh, of course I did this rock climb this, um, past summer and, uh, it was amazing. It was a 13 pitch multi-pitch rock climb up near Zabalis. It's just one gigantic piece of granite and it's, you're up over a hundred stories when you reach the, the top anchors. Um, and I didn't have one fall, um, mm. you know, like where the ropes catch you or whatever, but I, not one couple little toe slips on the way that I immediately recaught my friction was able. So I was very proud of myself. I felt on top of the world, like I could accomplish anything when I'd done that. And if you'd asked me a few years ago, if, if I thought I could do it, I'd say, I'd probably say, oh, that sounds really cool, but there's no way I'd have had the impetus to, to mm-hmm. go and, and do something like that. So you've learned about the, the further reaches of your own potential. Yes. I, I would say so. Amazing. Yeah. Because that's not necessarily what one might expect from going through a, a near-death experience. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I have a, it's kind of like, you know, you can get back on the horse after something like that, but then, but then how are you going to ride that horse? Get back on the horse just to trot around and say, oh yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm capable of doing that or get back on that horse and try to become a better horse rider, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So Jason, when you're not being Superman on the ledge <laughs> or in the caves, you're a small business owner, you're a husband, you're a father, and conceivably you encounter obstacles in all those three areas of your life. Do you find the fact that you know, you've overcome such large obstacles kind of in the outdoors allows you to, when you have typical business obstacles that come up, an employee's late or a customer complains or you forget something to the, to the job site, do you find those are easier to deal with now? Or is it just, you know, every obstacle is different? Often I find myself thinking, you know what, this could be worse. Right. And that's immediately what my mind flashes. And that's in every aspect of my life, you know, no matter what's happening, a customer's giving you a hard time, you're feeling down about something, Mm -hmm. you don't have enough time to do something you want to because of family obligations or whatever it is. And I'd say that's my number one obstacle is there's just not enough time in this world for, for us to do everything we want and need to do, mm-hmm. you know, juggling mm-hmm. different sides of your life, uh, personal business, family, recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, I just think, you know, things could be worse. I've survived worse. So hearing the story and, and other stories about, adventure and and really just putting yourself in there and coming close to the brink of of going too far and and pushing too too much how might someone know uh, whether it's in the wilderness or in business when they have pushed themselves too far and and when they need to take a step back to survive that's a great question think for each and every person that's got to be wildly different but for me even before this incident I've been in the caves where I've thought this particular little side route to check out this particular portion of the cave I don't feel comfortable with how we have to get there whereas the people I've been caving with did 
So I simply said, no, you guys go on ahead. I'll wait here. I know you're going to go check out this this room or whatever, and you'll be back in 10 minutes. So I'll wait for you here, and we'll carry on. You know, so you have to realize your limits, I suppose, to a certain extent. And that's just down to how comfortable you feel with things. I think with, with everybody, it's, it's, you have to learn almost, it's almost like a learning time of what your limits are. You can't just know, you almost have to experience it. So like you said, try, get out there, get dirty, you know, get off the couch and and experience those things. And throughout the way you'll find perhaps where your limits are. Um, And yeah. And, and the limit might not be a hard red line in the sand perhaps sometimes it is but i think more often than not it's 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 an area there's like a line and then there's another line and in between those two lines is is a gray area where as you approach it you go okay this is something i might not be comfortable with so i'm going to get a little close and investigate a little more see what that gray area looks like and then and then it's quite simple it's it's it oh no this isn't this isn't as bad as I thought it was. I, sh- I can carry on or no, no, this is definitely an area I don't feel comfortable mm. with. And this is my limit for sure. So it was obviously a, an incredibly trying circumstance that you went through and, and a near death one and, and something that was terrifying. I'm wondering, are any parts of it, are you grateful for, for any parts of having gone through that and what, what might that be? I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm grateful to have survived it. I suppose there's a certain part, I guess there's a part of me that's proud as well that I managed to survive it. Oh, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm proud that I'm, that I, I was able to hold it together and, and come out of it and grateful. That's a, that's a really interesting question. Gratitude for having actually gone gone through it i suppose for the results of what it what it's given me for the fact that it's propelled me to to be more adventurous and and you know to try to be doing the rock climbing now in ways that i don't think i would have beforehand Hmm. um because you you hear of people who over overcame a potentially deadly disease or financial hardship who say you know that was that was the best thing that could have happened to me because of what came after. Yes. So perhaps that's what Andrew was talking about with yeah, the question is, of course, you know, it's you, just, tricky you don't want to experience the cave again, you know, in, in, in that <laughs> not in fashion. that way. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, I have this niggling feeling that perhaps I am a little bit, I just, like I say, I can't put my finger on exactly why. Cool. For people who are listening and having everyone encounters obstacles and, and, Many are not as extreme, but for those people who are in the midst of something right now, what, what advice would you give them? Try to look for the hope. When I was down there and it was, I think I said, you know, I said to you when, when it was at its darkest, when my mind was, was starting to fill with really bad thoughts, Mm -hmm. I would, I would force those thoughts aside with forced hopeful thoughts no we are going to make it out of this and uh that that's the biggest thing is trying to find the hope in those situations right 
unless you've already found some of the tools towards getting around that obstacle. But if it's really as dire as you, you have no tools and you're at the mercy of this obstacle at this precise moment, then then it's hope and you have to find it and cling to it and find a way to work with it. And Well, and I think there was real beauty in, in how you described just going to the root of your humanity and focusing on your breathing when it was at its worst what you could still do is continue to breathe continue to literally keep your head above water and and breathe and just take it in yeah. and, and i think i think that's something we can all do yeah and when you feel like you have no control you always you always can control your breathing so i i love that image um and of, of, and I've thought about that image actually in, in my own life of just when you get to a moment where you feel like I can't go on any further, whether it's in this conversation or, you know, through this day to remember that you can always control your breath. Yeah. Maybe as a final question, um, we always love to, to kind of end with this, the, the, the word legacy. And as a father, um, perhaps um, you haven't perhaps thought about this, but we'll We'll, um, we, we love to, we love to wonder, you know, what kind of legacy we're leaving for our kids and our, you know, those people who will come after us. So based on what you, your life, how you've lived it up until this point, what kind of legacy would you like to leave for your kids? A resilient one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No obstacle is really insurmountable. Yeah, for sure. I love that mindset and I love the idea of uh, in those dark times finding that hope and, and just controlling that mindset. I think that's a, a wonderful takeaway and uh, it certainly got you through one of the most incredible stories and adventures that I've uh, had the opportunity to witness and, and to hear. So I want to say thank you very much for coming and sharing not only the story but but those insights and that wisdom as well. No problem. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Well, that's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We appreciate your time and attention. If we can make one request, please subscribe. How do you do that, John? They push subscribe. That's all you got to do. We also got social media, guys. We've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com That is the one. It's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on. Mm -hmm, for sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles.